Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca podcast. And uh, one of the few opportunities that I've had to have a repeat guest on the show, Maddie May is back. Thank you, Maddie, for hanging out with all of us again today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Nathan. I'm super excited. Well, we just for anybody who did not get to hear Maddie's original episode, if you go back to episode 315, um, I was... I was particularly enamored, Maddie, by your brand, still am really, because your business model is quite a fascinating one. You're an elopement photographer. Plenty of people talk about that, but the way that you offer the service is just fascinating. So anybody listening in, if you haven't heard that episode, go back to episode 315, not only to get to know Maddie a little bit more on a personal level, but also get to know her business model and learn something from it because it's really, really interesting. I'll go ahead and give a shout out to Maddie to your your website, adventureinstead.com, just like it sounds. And then same thing on Instagram as well. And of course, we'll link to those in the show notes. Maddie, the last time that you were on the show, there were a couple of questions um, that I didn't get to ask you that I normally ask my guests these days. So if you don't mind, I want to get into those. The first one actually has to do with your experience as a business owner, what you have found has been most impactful when it comes to creating a great customer experience. Yes, I love that question. Absolutely. So I I went to marketing school. I did a business degree um, at Carter State University. And my okay. one of my favorite professors, he like defined customer service and well he 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 he, he defined customer satisfaction basically yeah. as the difference between like your client's expectations and then what you actually deliver them. And so I love that analogy because basically good customer service is all about setting and then exceeding expectations. And both of those pieces are so important. You can't exceed expectations if you don't properly set them. And I think before really understanding that I was doing customer service in this kind of like kind of throw everything at the wall kind of way rather than kind of sitting (laughs) (laughs) rather than just kind of sitting down and actually strategizing out what experience that I want my clients to have. Yeah. And then strategically like setting their expectations of that experience step by step, but making sure at every single step of the process, I was constantly exceeding them. And that is what was game changing for me of like creating just absolutely mind blowing, like five star review level of customer experiences was making sure that I intentionally set and exceeded expectations at every single step of the process. Okay. So this is really interesting to me. And I'm, I'm glad that, that you brought this up for two, really two reasons, or I guess there are two main ideas that I'm thinking about here. So when you talk about the difference between clients' expectations and, or that ultimately the customer experience is about the difference between clients' expectations and how you deliver on them. Um, that one of the things that stands out for me, and maybe just because I don't know. I I know that I have that I can very easily be egocentric. Like I can make the situation about me, whatever it is, my personal life, my business. <laughs> um, and I think it's easy for a lot of us as human beings to do that, you know, in various circumstances. But photographers, a lot of times, will talk about their style and their business and their brand and their experience, and and make it about them. When really, at the end of the day, if we want to create a really great business, it's got to be about the client to a point. So I'm, I'm curious where the line is, do you feel, between making sure that you tell them what it is that you're going to offer them and making sure that you're also keeping an open mind to what they want within that? Yeah, I mean, it's basically always about putting yourselves in the shoes of a client, of someone who's getting married. They've never done this before. This is all new and scary. They don't know what questions to ask or how this goes. Like yeah. they really need a lot of help and guidance. I think it's really easy as photographers, but really any service provider, it's really easy to 
have what's called marketing myopia, where we like filter everything that we communicate to clients through our own experience that we already have. Like we already have experienced probably multiple weddings. We know how this is supposed to go. It's like rote for us really at this point. Whereas kind of putting yourself in the shoes of someone who is doing this for the very first time, Mm. I think that is what separates really amazing service providers who can give that level of experience to every single client, no matter how long they've been doing this and whether it's like old hat for them. Um, and yeah, so it, it is difficult to kind of re- like, remember that this is a brand new experience for every single client, even if we've been doing it for years and this seems really simple and you know, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they asked that question. That's such a red flag. Well, I don't know. They've never done this before. So yeah. how do we know that it is? So <laughs> Interesting. So empathy at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's it, it, it's hard to kind of get out of your own mindset and remember that this is new for them. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I honestly think the best way is to just sit down and talk or, you know, have a Skype call or Zoom call. I'm who uses Skype anymore. Zoom call with, <laughs> <laughs> with a client or just a phone call and just really think through like what questions are they asking and trying to yeah. empathize and imagine yourselves being in the shoes of someone who has never done this before. That has definitely helped me be a better service provider. Huh. That's cool. Well, I, I, first of all, I love the definition that your professor shared for really all of us in the end. Um, but I like, I also, I wrote down those two words, expectation and empathy that seems to kind of drive that experience that you're creating for your clients. And I think this is a wonderful, wonderful reminder for me and certainly for all of our listeners as well. Um, but let me jump to the next question. This is something else we didn't really touch on in the last uh, episode, I don't believe, but you know, we did talk, I think a little bit about time management and how you manage time delegation, outsourcing, it's it's labeled different things depending on the person you talk to, but this is a really important, or it can be a really important component of managing our time as business owners. Is it something that you've experienced or excuse me, experimented with and what's your experience been like? If so. Yeah. So I'm very much of a reluctant delegator. Okay. Um, like I think being a perfectionist and a control freak and like, I was always the kid in high school where group projects, they always fell on me. I was always a person to like do everything. And I think when I first started business, I had this mentality, which I think is pretty pervasive in the photography world of just thinking like the ultimate end all be all of being successful is to do everything yourself, to like be this superwoman with like eight arms doing <laughs> everything. Yeah. And I strive, I strive for that for a long time. And Interesting. I was really reluctant to delegate for the longest time. And it held me back so much. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could go back to myself and just say, Hey, like you are, you are not supposed to do everything. That is not the definition mm. of being successful. And that's not the definition of making it. And so once I kind of let myself off of that hamster wheel of just continuing to try and continuing to fail because no one can do it all on their own. Right. Um, and just like making that big step of like admitting that I couldn't do it all on my own and that that wasn't a failure, that that was actually um, the best decision I ever made for my business was delegating and hiring people and bringing people on. And yeah, since we last talked, my business has grown even more and I've delegated like probably 10 times more things than really? I had the last time we had talked. I have seven full-time employees now and it's just, yeah, this huge team. I am a huge fan of getting as much, you know, really every couple of months I just get real with myself again and I look at what are my actual core competencies? What in my business really has to be done by me and really cannot be done by anyone else? And that's a hard question to ask yourself. And I have to continue to put my ego aside and be like, does it really though have to be you, Matt? Really, <laughs> like no one else can do this. Are yeah. you for real? Yeah. And um, every time I make that leap of letting go of a new thing and trusting someone else to do it, it's scary every single time. I'm still reluctant every single time. And then as soon as something gets done without me being involved or spending my time on it, I'm like, Oh, I should have done this like three years ago. <laughs> but um, really like I like work with a lot of photographers and kind of helping them lifestyle design and analyze their business and like what they need to be in and what they don't have to be in. Hmm. And yeah. I think that that jump from being a solopreneur to like the first things you start outsourcing and the first, you know, maybe a part time 
full-time VA that you hire on, like really know those first beginning steps, I think are some of the hardest when it comes to learning to delegate. That was like the, definitely the scariest part for me going from it being just me to asking for any kind of help. And so I love telling photographers of like, when you're trying to determine what is the most sensible for you to outsource, rather than kind of listening to what everyone else tells you to do, I love just kind of writing down like what are you doing one for like every single client like what are the steps in your entire workflow for each client and Mm -hmm. what are what are everything you're doing for the back end of your business with marketing finances and everything else and write down the things like your top 10 list of the stuff you hate like you hate doing it it's the worst you procrastinate it and you just don't you just don't like it at like at, at all. I think those things that you hate and are the worst are like the smartest things to try to figure out how to outsource first because they take a real disproportionate amount of your time and energy, not just doing them, but the amount of time I know I spend procrastinating and avoiding them. So I think for a lot of photographers, this could be editing, this could be like, it, you know, engaging on social media, it could be actually writing blogs, it could be answering emails or inquiries or whatever it is, but there's always a way to find someone to train them and to, you know, still have a quality controlled part of the process, but to get 90% of the hours of those activities off of your plate. Okay. You, you just said so many wonderful things and I actually want to go back and ask you about a couple of them um, in particular. One, you, it was interesting. You pointed out the, I guess the significance of wanting to do things yourself because you had kind of created this picture in your mind of somebody being successful, being the person that is able to do everything themselves. But then you said something particularly poignant, which was that you had to kind of set your ego aside in order to make the step or these steps to begin delegating. Um, And I think there's a certain level of um, humility innate to a statement like that, because a lot of photographers and and self-awareness for that matter, because a lot of photographers would just continue to argue that they need to control it in order to, to make the thing happen in order to make their clients happy. They've created this, this idea in their mind that if, if they aren't touching everything, their client's not going to be happy. And I don't know where that comes from. Nonetheless, what was the thing that pushed you over the edge to, to begin delegating a little bit more, to, to be willing to set aside ego for the sake of creating a little bit more sanity and time in your life? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was a lot of failure. It was a lot of banging my head against the same wall over and over again. I, I usually, I usually don't go down easy. My pride and my ego doesn't go down easy. <laughs> I can so, relate. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was a lot of like, okay, this is just really not working. And hmm. seeing that over and over again and seeing like, I am reaching a ceiling here. Okay. I can absolutely not grow and I cannot create the kind of experience I want to create for this many clients. Like I have to completely scale and cut back um, to get to a point where I'm not feeling like I'm failing all the time because I don't have enough time to do everything I want to do to the level that I want to see it happen. And it really, it just, I, I had to get to a point where there was just no other choice. It was like scale or die. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Well, and the, the other thing too, that becomes a real challenge. Um, I, I want to ask you about this because you are a, you're a really great communicator. You have a certain calm about you. You're able to articulate what it is that you're thinking, do it in a way that's easy to, to understand, easy to follow. And I'm curious if you, if there was any challenge for you innate to communicating, you talked about, you know, learning to give this up and communicating what it is that you want done to somebody else. I have found that's been the biggest challenge for me in the process of delegation, uh, despite the fact that I own a, a company that's all about delegation, right? Photographers at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, working with my team, continuing to learn how to best communicate with them. That's honestly been my biggest challenge because I do what, I, um, ironically, or maybe not so ironically, I've seen a lot of photographers do with our editing company, which is to assume that the person on the other side of that email or phone call or otherwise understands what they want, really without actually saying it and laying it out in detail. And so I've been guilty multiple times of doing that and then realizing, oh, I need to break this down further. I can't just assume that that other person understands what I want. I have to be able to break it down. And in order to break it down well for them, that means that I have to really clearly understand what it is that I want in the first place in order to communicate that effectively. So I'm curious what your experience was in learning to communicate for the sake of delegation. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of learning that people can't read my mind, (laughs) first of all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That it, you know, again, I think all of us, we filter everything through our own lens, through our own experience and through all the things we know in our head. And so it goes back to that first question. It's again about empathy, realizing that the person that you are 
handing this thing off to is a human and they have different experience than you and different thoughts and different perspectives than, than, than you. And it takes, you know, time and patience and encouragement. And it also takes letting people make mistakes, which was like one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with initially was like, okay, all of these things that I want to happen will get done if I delegate, but they will not get done 100% exactly how I would do them. And getting to that point and realizing like, you know, my, it's not my way or the highway. Maybe the way that I want to do things isn't the end all be all rightest way to do something. Mm. You know, there are other perspectives. There are other ways of doing things right, even though they might be slightly different than how I would do them. And I think I initially, like when I first actually even started wanting to outsource editing, I gave up on it way too easily. If the first gallery didn't come back perfect, exactly how I was going to edit it, I was like, well, this sucks. This is not going to go back to editing myself where, you know, when I realized like, no, of course it's not going to come back perfect the first time. Like it takes iteration and communication and patience and, uh, and, and time to get it right. Like I think the, 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 the training period is something that does take in, investment and patience and and empathy to really be able to work through. But once you get to that point, it's the most freeing, wonderful thing in the whole world. So it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah. One of the analogies that I use is with retail, because I worked retail for years when I was quite a bit younger. And, you know, whether it was food service or working at the mall and selling clothes, if I went to work for a particular company, they didn't say, okay, Nate, go out on the floor and sell. And, and leave it at that. There was extensive training of some kind, whether I had to read a manual and get feedback, you know, com- actual have conversations with the, the manager in charge and, and various training that might come from that conversation. There was ongoing communication in order for me to learn how to do my job. And the funny thing, as you pointed out, is that when we go to delegate something, we kind of just expect the person that we're handing this thing over to to just automatically go do the job without there being... A, a period, a, a, in some cases, a little bit of time where we have to have conversations, multiple conversations in order to effectively communicate what it is that we want done. And that gives the other person time to, to kind of consume that information, try to make sense of it, go do the job, and then us to give them feedback and so on and so forth. That's normal in every other part of our lives. But when it comes to us actually delegating, we get frustrated really, really quickly. Again, I'm guilty of the same. And the reality is we have to understand it's a process. And if we're willing to commit to that process, and the other side of that, as you pointed out, and are a great example of is this freedom and ultimately the ability to be able to grow our business in a way that we couldn't on our own. So I, I love your perspective on this. And this is, I didn't expect to, to spend this much time talking about it, but I think it's really <laughs> encouraging and thoughtful and ultimately helpful information uh, that all of our listeners can take and, and apply on a daily basis. So this is really good. Speaking of... Um, something that, well, really, actually, you know, we, we had you on as a guest to talk about elopement previously. Um, we're mm-hmm. getting into a topic today that is, I guess, in many ways, very much related to what it is that you do. You're out and photographing at all these beautiful locations uh, on location. And you actually reached out to us and said, hey, can we, can we come on the podcast and talk about this idea and ultimately organization, Leave No Trace? This is not something that we've talked about really very much on the podcast uh, to date, leaving no footprint as we photograph our clients in nature. Uh, I'm curious, first of all, why this holds significance to you. And you even said to me before we started recording, you were like, I'm, I'm so excited to get into this. You obviously have a passion for it. What drives that passion? Yeah, I love that question. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I first want to kind of share like why this topic became so important to me, um, because I actually didn't grow up with a lot of experience in the outdoors. Like I grew up in in Colorado and kind of everyone assumes that if you're a born and raised Coloradan that you like were born on a mountaintop or something. But, (laughs) But I, you know, I lived in cities my whole life. Like my family was not outdoorsy. They didn't take me hiking or camping or really I didn't get to experience any of those things until I moved out and moved in with a friend um, when I was 17. And um, he was a, he was a naturist and he took me up my first 14er and I just realized how much I loved being in the outdoors. But like, I didn't grow up with kind of a base understanding of, you know, trail etiquette and like 
you know, how fragile the outdoors are and or just how like amazing they are. That was mm. something I really um, learned for myself more as an adult. And so, you know, I can relate to to people who kind of are newer to the outdoor scene. And I think this is really pointing that we're talking about this now in, you know, in this year with this pandemic going on, just because if anyone out there has noticed that every single trail or outdoor space, like since COVID happened has, you know, been three to 10 times busier than ever before. I mean, there are so many people getting into the outdoors who really like used to more prefer indoor recreation. And so I, yeah. So when I became an elopement photographer, you know, I remember that first elopement that I photographed, I think I talked about the last time was in Rocky Mountain National Park. And it, that day was just life-changing for me being Mm. able to see a couple commit their lives to each other surrounded by this completely awe-inspiring scenery, I was just immediately obsessed. And what I didn't share last time was, um, you know, the fact that when I got that first elopement online, I, you know, didn't really know much about the potential impacts of like the certain ways that I had geotagged the location when I posted about it on Instagram and got it on Pinterest. You know, I had like pretty much the exact coordinates of where that elopement was, was, was photographed, what road it was on in Rocky Mountain National Park. And I was this baby photographer with like no following. Nobody knew who I was in 2015. And I was just trying to leverage it from a marketing perspective. And um, I did a great job at that. And I, you know, booked 30 elopements from it the following year by, by leveraging it, but I did not consider the potential impacts of like the way that I had shared it and the way that I had marketed it and the lack of um, context that I had provided on how fragile that particular environment that I had photographed this elopement in. I have seen dramatic and devastating changes in the last five years to Rocky Mountain National Park, which mm-hmm. is in my backyard and is in a location that I love and that I have photographed so many incredible couples elopements and it is just has this really special place in my heart and you know basically by the within about 12 months the park had gone from you know getting a one or two requests a month for a location that was different than one of their designated ceremony sites to have an elopement or wedding at to about like 50 to 60 a month within 12 months and you know, anyone who knows me knows that I love how much the elopement market is growing. I love that there are so many photographers getting into elopements. I like want everyone to be able to experience what it's like to like photograph a couple on this like kind of really intimate and meaningful day surrounded by beautiful nature. But the, you know, this, this niche has grown so much in the past couple of, uh, of years. And I, you know, did not teach in tandem my, you know, how to market and get more elopements at the same pace that I was, you know, teaching and sharing the information of how important it is that as we bring these couples to these outdoor spaces, how important it is that we protect them. And I was unaware of my impact that I had caused back in 2015, but Rocky has had to significantly change the rules of the park. The permit costs both Mm. for special events and for commercial use has skyrocketed it's becoming a barrier um particularly to newer photographers you know disproportionately affects um photographers with less established businesses it you know it affects um couples too and you know rocky actually completely banned elopements at any location that is not one of their designated side of the road really developed spots with infrastructure and so I can't even take clients back to some of the places that they got married in for a vow renewal. And that just like seriously breaks my heart. And, you know, land, land managers. And by that, I mean, people who are in charge of state parks, national parks, and, you know, national forests, any kind of BLM land, any land that's not privately owned, um, you know, that people have the opportunity to outdoor recreate. And like, sometimes they have to use blunt instruments, like putting up restoration barriers or closing things or, bringing in permits really just in the attempt to try to protect this land that they've been in charge of, you know, stewarding. And, um, you know, so I would really rather like us come together as, as a community and, um, you know, not have what happened to, to the climbing community 30 years ago, which is a story I would love to tell because this has happened to other 
to other groups of people who rely on the outdoors for their life and their business, you know, that they get shut out of every single place that they love being in. And this is happening at a rapid scale. And I feel a really deep level of personal responsibility for my part that I've played and, you know, not have not being as loud about how important it is that we take care of these lands together as a community so that we can contain that we can continue to access to them as I have about how wonderful it is to photograph couples in, in the outdoors. And that's what I'm trying to change. Wow. Okay. Well, I, so I guess the first question that I have, and we're going to actually, for everybody listening in, we're going to get into the seven principles that, that drive a better approach to being a photographer in these natural environments for the sake of protecting the environments and ultimately protecting your privilege as a photographer to be able to photograph in those environments. We're going to get to those seven principles here that, by the way, are are uh, presented by the Leave No Trace organization, which we're going to also discuss. But my, my first question for you, Maddie, and I kind of touched on this briefly before we started recording, um, my my understanding of this conversation is very, very limited and a bit simplistic, and largely because I don't have your experience photographing in these types of locations. And for anybody who's not had the chance to look at Maddie's Instagram feed, it is, I mean, I'm scrolling through as you're talking here, and it's just mind-blowing, the, the stuff, the, the places, the locations that you get to photograph in. It's just, and by the way, stunning photography, too. It's it, That wouldn't happen, these images wouldn't happen without knowing how to, to utilize light and how to frame an image and so forth, but just gorgeous stuff. Um, I don't have the experience that you do. My my experience as a wedding photographer and an engagement photographer, I certainly photographed outdoors quite a bit. Um, but you know, when I think about I need to protect the environment that I'm going into, I'm, I'm not going to leave trash on the ground. I'm not going to go you know damage any component of that environment in any obvious way. Um, that that's my kind of simplistic approach to taking care of the environment that I'm in. And I wouldn't I wouldn't naturally do anything that would be irresponsible and somehow affect the privilege of other photographers using that particular location. It just it's not something that comes to mind. So this is a bit of a foreign concept for me for, for those reasons that I just shared. And I'm wondering if you can explain, you said you didn't even realize the impact you were making on these various environments. Can you explain what it is that is happening as a result of you or other photographers being in these places that's so terrible? Yeah. I mean, so I think a lot of it is just about not you know, not being aware, not being cognizant. I think that, you know, particularly as it becomes more popular to take clients either for an engagement shoot or for a wedding or elopement to, you know, some sort of beautiful public lands area. Like I think everyone knows how popular it is to shoot in Yosemite, for example. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do want to sidestep your question for just a second, just because sure. I, I, I want to, Put, put it front and center with this conversation that, and just kind of speak to the process that I, I, I think leave no trace that concept um, has, you know, there's a couple of problems with, I think the way that it's been talked about in our industry historically. Um, I think that leave no trace um, for some people has become twisted to this like set of fundamental rules that are like a clear, um, set of like right and wrongs. And there have been people who've been using like leave no trace as something to like beat someone else over the head with or shame them. Particularly, there's a lot of social media shaming that goes around the like the concept of leave no trace. And um, a lot of people, you know, are kind of using it and holding up this banner of leave no trace and doing a lot of damage to other people in the process around shame and like policing people and using it to kind of gatekeep the outdoors, you know, using it, you know, in microaggressive ways against people um, for their like lack of experience and lack of un uh, understanding. So, um, you know, having been working really closely with the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics over the past 10 months, I can say that that is not what Leave No Trace is. And that's not the point of it at all. The point of it is not this set of fundamental rights and wrongs of these seven rules. It's like, it, 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 it's really a set of ethics to have in mind and to filter through your own experience and culture and the individual situation that you are facing. It's just, it, it, it are tools of knowledge to like have in your mind. And I think a lot of people have twisted leave, leave no trace to be this, like every something that's perfectly right or perfectly wrong. When in reality, they, it's a you know it's very layered it's very complicated every situation that you run into in in the outdoors a lot of times like 
what's right and wrong isn't clear. And really the Leave No Trace and I would say that like there isn't a right or wrong in the outdoors. These are things to consider and to think about and so the things that people should not be publicly shamed for. And I know that a lot of photographers have experienced that and been the brunt of that. And the, even just saying leave, leave, leave No Trace can cause some photographers to you know, that, that I've talked to and that I've mentored to like panic and feel terrible about something that they didn't know better that they did for a shoot to get a cool photo and that they feel terrible about. Maybe someone called them out for it and it has shut people down and, you know, created a lot of fear and silence around this, which as again, then contributed to the problem that we're not talking about it as an industry. It's something that it feels like it's unattainable to follow perfectly. So a lot of people just want to exit out of the conversation and not even try to talk about. So I know that was not the answer to your question, but I, before getting further <laughs> into this conversation, I did want to say that because I yeah. have seen that become a, a big issue. So like on, on, on one hand, I think photographers, we have, you know, a, there's this underlying kind of negative view and fear and shame around the concept of leave no trace. And then, you know, wanting to balance that with the harsh reality that there are really devastating impacts that are happening to the lands that we love to take clients to and want to be able to continue to access. And then therefore land managers are needing to use blunt instruments like shutting things down, closing off places, you know, 10xing permit prices, you know, um, to like try to solve it because we're not collectively talking about it um, as an industry because of the aforementioned problems. But yeah, so as far as in, um, impacts go, there's some really, you know, there's some, you know, big cases that I think most photographers are aware of, like what happened to Horseshoe Bend for it example, which is this, you know, really beautiful bend on the Colorado River that's attached to the Grand Canyon. And it used to just be this like side of the road, pull off, you know, this dirt unmarked road, no one really knew about. And then with the influx of social media and geotagging, um, it is now like a, you know, it is, there's hundreds of people there pretty much all day long, sunrise and sunset every day of the year. They've, you know, had to pave it, build a parking lot, add toilets because, you know, people were leaving waste and, uh, you know, human waste and trash. And, you know, it, it is also dangerous. You're at the edge of a cliff. So there's been railings installed and all of these other things to keep it safe and, um, and accessible because, you know, basically even a small in- impact, like one piece of trash or, you know, can just add up basically with volume. And I think what we've seen over the last five years is just because of the popularity of outdoors and how certain spots have gone viral that without an equal viral amount of conversation around um, stewardship and us taking care of it, it can do really irreparable damage to places. I know there was like that really amazing Canyon in Iceland, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because I can't speak Icelandic, <laughs> but it's ours with an F and it's like mossy. And I think Justin Bieber's music video was shot there. Okay. With, Within about six months, that place has been closed for restoration for like three years. I got to photograph an elopement in it before it was closed. And, you know, now it's just been completely, completely damaged because everyone was you know, trampling all of the the moss that is that 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 grows there. So they're closing it to try to let it regrow. Um, Cape Kwanda on the West Coast, um, you know, they had this really beautiful rock formation that was photographed at a lot and then was eventually like pushed over by a bunch of people and like the rock formation is mm. destroyed. You know, there's photos, um, you know, I mean, I think, I think, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before kind of the damage that happened out in California when the super bloom happened of everyone kind of rolling around and destroying all of the wildflowers that were there. Um, you know, they, I could tell story after story, basically the type of, uh, the type of impacts that are happening when places go viral, but it not in, not in tandem, a conversation around how we can all um, continue to enjoy these lands year after year is also happening. Well, it's funny how we kind of tend to go to extremes. Uh, I mean, in, in any kind of in most conversations, I should say, in, in culture these days, political or otherwise, like the, there's a tendency to go to extremes and then ego gets involved and we're trying to control other people and make ourselves feel better and look good. And, and it and it complicates the conversations in a way that isn't necessary. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking here about something as at the very root level, as simple as take care of the environment that you're in. 
mm-hmm. for your experience of it in the long run and for the experience of others in the long run. And we're talking about responsibility and kindness and consideration of others. Like these are really basic human behaviors that we should all be living consistently anyway. So it shouldn't be such a complicated conversation. And and yet, sadly, we we do have to go there. So um, I, what you're describing, when, when, when I asked about the impact that we're having on these environments, it seems like uh, beyond the, I guess, the, the basic problems that I mentioned early on, which is, you know, leaving trash uh, or in some form or fashion damaging the, the environment, the structures, et cetera, that are in these places, the impacts that you're talking about come from high volume of people being there and then, I guess, behaving in those ways where they're leaving waste of various various types and it's ultimately degrading the environment on a larger scale. Is that, is that the biggest impact do you feel? Yeah. I mean, there, there is so much, but yeah, I would say that, you know, I pulled those examples just because they're the most poignant. A lot of people have heard of them and yeah, like some, something that may not feel like a big deal in a place that is less trafficked. Once it becomes higher trafficked and once more people come, yeah, basically whatever is the status quo of how that piece of environment is being treated will just become scaled and all the problems and the devastation will, will scale. But this is happening all over the world in every single state and every single national park and state park and BLM land. Um, I mean, there are fragile environments that are, that are, you know, getting irreparable um, damage happening to them that could take 50, 100 years to restore. It's happening everywhere, even in places that um, that aren't as high of traffic. It isn't about volume. It isn't about, well, all of, we need to stop going outside. That's not the solution. The solution is we all just need to be more aware of like the impact that we have. So collectively, the next time we go outside, the next time we bring a couple on a trail, we can just have a bit more awareness and work towards leaving less impact every time. Okay. So, and and that's a great segue to, first of all, the point, which is that you in conjunction with leave no trace are going to be doing a, or offering a course, teaching a course here uh, pretty soon. Can you share just a little bit about that course? And then we're going to actually give everybody listening in a bit of a teaser for that course and talk about the, the seven principles that we alluded to earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really, really excited about 10 months ago, I reached out to, Believe No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics. This was after I had launched my my own course, the Elopement Photographer course, which was very popular. And there was, you know, all these wonderful new elopement photographers. And I was getting a lot of questions about Leave No Trace. And then I was, you know, more and more cognizant of, okay, like I've given all these photographers tools on how to book elopements and bring even more couples into the outdoors. And I don't feel properly qualified on my own to make sure that I'm, you know, giving the best education possible when it comes to how to leave no trace. So I I reached out to them. They're a a nonprofit. They're actually local to me. They're in Boulder, Colorado. Um, They've been around for, I think I want to say 30, 35 years. Um, They are the, you know, the most widely globally recognized set of like outdoor ethical principles for sustainable uh, enjoyment, really simply like leave no trace. What it is, is it's the best practices that we can all follow in order to enjoy and protect the outdoors at the same time. Um, And I think um, I, I, I think the enjoy and protect are like really key that both of those are in there um, in that definition. Because again, I think there have been people who have used leave no trace to gatekeep and to shut people out. Whereas really the core of it is, is very egalitarian. It is very about let's all go outside. Let's all enjoy the outdoors. Let's just do it in a way so we can keep enjoying them for the long term. And so um, you know, having re- they have um, Leave No Trace Center, like they have a lot of education. They're really like an education nonprofit at, it, at its core. They see the solution, um, you know, to protecting these environments, not of shutting them down, not of keeping people out, but of like giving people more awareness and more education. And I, I realized that, you know, that's what's been missing in the conversation around Leave No Trace in our industry. You know, you've, you can find blog posts that have the seven principles and, you know, someone's interpretation of how that applies to photography. And I think that's what most photographers think when it comes to leave, leave no trace, not that they're this, you know, big set of ethical principles that are, you know, not about a set of right and wrongs and should and shouldn'ts and not about keeping you from doing what you want to do in the outside. It's, it's really just this, this bigger responsibility for all of us. I mean, 
you know, I'm not paying for a studio um, space. Like my studio art is is public lands. And I've built my entire business. I spent the last 10 years of my career building a business that relies on being able to continue to take clients to public lands. And, you know, I'll circle back to the story I didn't finish earlier. Um, I, I don't know if you're, are you a climber, Nathan? Or are you friends with any like rock climbers? Um, I'm not personally, no, not anybody that's actively climbing. Yeah. So, um, I am not really like, I'm a baby climber. I would not call myself a climber, but, (laughs) but, you know, I learned this really interesting story that there's so many parallels to with photographers. So about 25, 30 years ago in the climbing industry, they went through a very similar problem to like what we as photographers are facing now where, you know, climbing was getting more popular and, you know, there was, you know, these kind of like go-to amazing climbing spots that all, every climber wanted to go to. And, um, you know, but there wasn't awareness and education about how to climb and use those lands sustainably. So climbers ended up, you know, collectively trashing and destroying some of the most amazing spots to climb by leaving waste and trash and, um, you know, not being cognizant about the the way that their impact was adding up as a as a community, and so land managers like banned climbing. Like they had to, that was their only choice from all these for all these different places. So climbers lost access to their favorite places to recreate and be in the outdoors and 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 to work. Even professional climbers, it affected affected everyone who who likes to climb. You know, that's when the cat. You know, they came together as as a community, and that's when they created the Access Fund. If you ever heard of the Access Fund, that's where it came from. Was the climbing community coming together and saying, "Hey." we need to turn the ship around. Like we are all, we've all lost access to these amazing places that we like to climb. But if we come together and collectively, you know, through education and through going and cleaning up different places and putting up signs and making sure that collectively, you know, we're all in this together. And I think in the photography industry, it is the same thing. I mean, anyone who has built a business or built a marketing plan around like photographing at a particular outdoor location. Or if you, anyone has locations that they're like, I really want to shoot there and I'm working towards and building my business towards being able to photograph an X and X, you know, beautiful outdoor location. All of that could be pulled out from under us all. Like we're all on the ship together really. And I think we're heading in the direction, the same direction that the climbing community was going in where, and we've seen it, it's happening, we are losing access, and it would be the easiest thing in the world for one day for Yosemite National Park to wake up and their land managers to have a conversation of like, you know, is it really worth it to be dealing with these photographers, they don't get the right permits, they're not following the rules, we're having all these problems with these particular spots, like, why don't we just shut them out? Like that is what happened to the climbing community. That's what's starting to happen to us as photographers. But I mean, like the solution is not for there to be less photographers. I love that there's so many more elopement photographers. The solution is for us to come together as a community and to start talking, you know, to let go of any mistakes that we may have made in the past when it comes to leave no trace. Like I've made plenty of mistakes. I, you know, didn't know better for a long, long time. And I wish that I had this information at the start of my business when I first started taking clients outside. So long story short, that's what this course is. And that's why I partnered with the Leave No Trace Center and also um, Annie Graham and Gabby and Brandon Fox. They're wonderful. We all wanted to come together, us four photographers, you know, seen as kind of more uh, the leaders in in this industry and, you know, wanting to wanting to come together and say, hey, like, we're all in this together. Let's all start talking. Let's let go of any shame. Let's not make this a conversation of right and wrongs and witch hunting people who have made mistakes. Let's all move forward to together, honestly, like through talking with, um, with Ben Lahan, who's the head of education at the Leave No Trace Center. He filmed the entire course um, with us. Like it's a conversation between each of us photographers and him talking about, you know, what Leave No Trace is, why it matters, how I sat down with Ben and I talked about how do you bake Leave No Trace principles into your whole business and use it as a way to provide amazing customer service to your clients and use it in your marketing and, and in your branding to even get more clients that also care about the outdoors. And Gabby and Brandon Fox um, talked talked 
talked talked with Ben about, you know, how do you take the most amazing epic photos while still staying on durable surfaces and not leaving it more impact than is necessary on the outdoors so we can keep bringing people out. And so, you know, it's a really different kind of course. And I think it's a really different kind of conversation than I've ever seen in this in, in this industry around leave, leave no trace. And I think that it's really necessary and needed. And so that's kind of the main reason that that we created it. The Leave and Trace Center has never created a course for photographers before. This is the first one. And I know that I learned so much even through creating it and like sitting down with, with them and everything in the course is backed by the Leave No Trace Center. And the whole thing is a fundraiser for the Leave No Trace Center. 100% of the proceeds are going to them as a nonprofit. And when will this course be? How will our listeners be able to access it? Yeah, so it's launching publicly um, on September 17th, 2020. It's going to be um, $95, um, which to be honest, like I like le- le- legitimately, uh, Nathan, if I was like pricing this about what kind of value there is with business and marketing and workflow and customer service and everything else, I would probably be a five, $600 course with the amount of value that is in it. Um, and, um, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be $95. It's launching September 17th. And in addition to, you know, the five hours of video, which, you know, will really up any photographer's education on like what Leave No Trace is and how it's a set of ethics and principles to keep in mind and a tool to use in order to make better decisions and to us all collectively leave less impact while we're enjoying time outside with our our couples. In addition to all those videos, when you watch all of the videos, there's a quiz at the end that just kind of assesses your, you know, understanding of of the Leave No Trace. And um, when you pass the quiz, you get a Leave No Trace aware photographer badge that you can put on your site and in your marketing and your branding. And it's backed by the Leave No Trace Center. Um, You also get a full-blown client guide about how to leave no trace for your wedding or elopement that you can customize, put your own branding on, put your images in, and send this beautiful guide to your clients to help educate them. You know, while you know, it might be just a one-time event for our couples if they're getting married in a national park. Like it's something we're bringing dozens of couples to these outdoor spaces. Like the onus really is on us. And I know that that's a pain point for a lot of photographers is like, I don't know how to explain to my client why we can't lie in a bed of wildflowers for a photo. And this is what that guy does. And, um, and then it also, um, Paige Griffith, who um, runs the legal page, she donated a leave no trace contract clause to this course as well, which you also get when you pass the quiz. So it's really, really amazing. And, you know, we are hoping that um, it raises a ton of awareness and that as photographers, we can be able to continue to accessing these places that we love. Like I want to be able to take clients back to Rocky Mountain National Park for their five, 10 year anniversary and, you know, give them that experience. And I want the place to look the same and feel the same as like when they first said their vows there. And I think that education and awareness and us all coming together as a community is the way that we do this together. Now, we're going to get into the seven principles that we've kind of alluded to a number of times in our conversation already. But I, I'm still kind of curious, Maddie, because, um, you know, I asked earlier what what you were doing or what you realized you were doing. You found out that you were doing as a photographer that was having an impact in the environment. I'm looking at these seven principles. If I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit, most of them anyway, seem like some of that common sense that I was referring to earlier, we talk about plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste property, leave what you find, minimize campfire impact, respect wildlife, be considerate of others. These are the seven principles. We're going to get into them in detail here in just a second. The one that stands out to me uh, is the significance of traveling on durable surfaces. I think it's really easy for us and our curiosity to, to literally go off the beaten path and potentially affect the environment in that way. But outside of that, I, I'm, I guess what I'm having a hard time understanding is why would this be something that the average photographer not, I guess, naturally follow or do or behave like? Um, and, and are there, are there nuances to each of these points that, that, maybe I'm missing in the conversation. Yeah, that's a really good uh, question. I think, you know, I think we talked a little bit before this episode started about how, you know, this seems like really common sense to you. And maybe you've had kind of more of a life lived experience of like being in the outdoors. I mean, a lot of kids, if, you know, if your parents take you hiking, like these are the things that you learn when you're younger. Um, And I think for, for me, this is stuff that I really did not know when I first was out on trails and when I was first taking clients 
into the outdoors. Like I think maybe theoretically it was in the back of my head somewhere, but it was not on the forefront of my mind. It wasn't some of the things that I considered when I was choosing where to take a photo. I just didn't even think twice about it. And Mm. I think there are a lot of photographers who maybe didn't grow up in the outdoors and maybe, you know, this isn't common sense for that. You you would be really surprised, honestly. And like, the other thing is, yes, there are a lot of nuances to, uh, to each of these principles. And, you know, they mean different things in different environments. Like there are different things to consider when it comes to like what a durable surface is, depending on the environment, Mm. there are different things to think about whether you're going to a highly traffic place that has a lot of infrastructure, like a more of a front country environment, or if you're all the way deep in the back country, like there are, you know, different things to, um, to consider. It's really, um, you know, these are, again, a set of ethics to like get started having, ha- get us started having the conversation around sustainability and conservation. They aren't this end all be all set of black and white rules. Um, but yeah, I would say like there was a lot of mistakes that I made as a newer photographer, like newer photographer and really just being newer to the outdoors. It wasn't something that I grew up um, ar- uh, like around and, you know, I didn't understand, um, you know, what types of plants were fragile and how long certain things took to grow back. If I were to ask a client to go to this certain spot to, mm. to, to stand. And I didn't um, think about the cumulative impact of then posting that photo and not sharing information um, around like how to get there or more context around like, Hey, you know, you know, I know it looks like we're in a field of wildflowers, but it's actually a trail. Let's not trample wildflowers, you know? So, you know, and the cumulative impacts of, um, you know, there's that kind of Instagram phen- phenomenon. Like, have you heard of that Insta, Insta repeat phenomenon? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, beyond if everybody's posting about the same location, everybody's going to show up there. Is it, is it more nuanced than that? Yeah. So Insta repeat, I can't remember if it's an actual account, but it's basically like, you know, with social media, if someone sees someone posting a photo in a certain location, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of drive, I think probably, you know, coming from FOMO, like around like wanting to go to that same spot and take that exact same photo. And so that's how like an well, that, that, that's how, whereas as a, as a new photographer, I may have thought like, oh, I found this really cool off the beaten path location. I've never seen anyone else f- photograph there. And that was true for, you know, my first year of being a full-time elopement photographer. And what I didn't realize was, okay, like no matter what you're following is no matter like how many people know, know or don't know about you, like other people are going to find those images, go to those exact same locations and do the exact same thing that I did or what it appeared that I did. And that that um, impact scales really cumulatively, really, really quickly. Sure. I have definitely been at fault for when I'm on a location with a couple, like I am just so wrapped up in their emotions and their experience and the lighting. And a lot of times it really just honestly didn't cross my mind that I shouldn't go off trail in a certain spot. Cause I was like, that's the best angle. Of course I'm going to have them stand there. Like it's <laughs> really, it's really easy to, you know, if there's not this kind of awareness kind of kicking around in the back of your mind of like, okay, well, what if, you know, a hundred or a thousand people followed me to that spot? What would that Im- impact be? Um, or like, what if this photo that I'm posting went viral? What would that impact be on that location? Um, you know, because it can happen to anyone. And that first Lemonade photograph did go viral on Pinterest. And now it's literally impossible to shoot there anymore. And I, I feel very responsible for, for that. I mean, yeah, I'd say um, a lot of this just isn't it isn't a no brainer. There is a lot of nuance to it. And, you know, it isn't like a clear set of right and wrongs. It's, you know, principles to, to consider and to be aware of and to use as a tool when you're in the moment, making a decision about where to have a couple stand for a photo and where you're going to go stand to take that photo. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, like I've been very unaware of where my feet were standing before. And, you know, this is something that, that I think people who have had more outdoor experience may be unaware of that. It's, you know, not something that everyone knows. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think nuance, we keep using that word, but that really is the key word here because the principles themselves, um, at least for the most part, seem pretty straightforward, but how those apply, as you, you said earlier, in the context of that particular environment, it seems like that's the information 
that most of us probably aren't aware of. And, and that's where a lot of the value, it seems to lie in this. I mean, the awareness in and of itself of, of posting something to social media and that causing more people to show up at that location, the environmental impact that that has, that's also not something that I would have naturally thought about. Um, but then how I actually behave on location, again, based on whatever that particular environment is, that's also information that I'm not uh, readily aware of. And so I think that's where a lot of the value is, at least from my perspective here. And and again, to, to reiterate for everybody listening in, um, and we're just going to very, very briefly, because we're running out of time here, but we'll, we'll touch on these principles in just a second. But this this nuance that we're referring to in the detailed information um, that is going to be packed into this course, you'll be able to access that if you go to, or the information about that course, if you go to bocapodcast.com, we're going to put the, put the links in the show notes uh, to this particular course. And of course, you can actually go to the Leave No Trace website if you just want general information as well. It's lnt, leavenotrace.org, and uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Very, very briefly, Maddie, um, because really the, the detailed information will be shared in the course. Will you just touch on each of these seven principles here with about 10 minutes or so that we have left um, just to kind of sum them up and, and whet the appetite of our listeners, get them ready for that course that you're going to be teaching? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of, you know, and some of these principles are more um, relevant to what we do as photographers taking couples to the outside than others. And there's some that are good to be aware of, but are not something that our particular niche or industry has like particularly massive problems around. So, um, but I would say principle number one is something that we talk about a ton in the course, which is very simply like plan ahead and prepare. And I think as, as if you're a photographer that is one, like recommending locations to a client, um, you know, there's a lot of like planning and preparing that goes behind that. That's part of your workflow, whether you're doing an engagement shoot, an elopement or wedding. I know like location scouting is like a big part of my process and service that I give to my clients. For sure. Um, You know, and that takes a lot of research and also, you know, like planning ahead and preparing for yourself as a photographer and making sure that you're prepared when you go into the outdoors, um, you know, and like there's been stories of, you know, photographers or couples like not going into um, the outdoors um, prepared enough and needing, you know, to be airlifted or rescued out of certain places. Um, I mean, that happens not just to photographers. It happens to a lot of different hikers and climbers, um, you know, and so um, planning ahead and and preparing that's something that I actually talk about in my section, sitting down with Ben Lahan, who's the head of education at the Leave No Trace. And we talk a ton about that in, re- in relation to like, where does the conversation about Leave No Trace with your clients start? And I love this ties back into what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, because again, it's all about setting and exceeding expectations from the very beginning with your couples. Like, I think it's way too late to wait till the engagement session or wedding or elopement to talk about leave no trace with your clients. Like it is something that um, my business has now infused into all of my marketing, all of my branding, my whole workflow, you know, from the um, point of initial contact, you know, they're going to see that leave no trace aware photographer badge on, uh, on my site. When they get my pricing guide, they're going to see that I've included Um, carbon neutral travel for myself and for them getting to their elopement location, thinking through the impacts of that. They're going to see a leave no trace contract clause in my contract that is us both mutually agreeing as like a part of this experience of doing this amazing um, event in the outdoors. Like we're going to be conscious of you know, our impact on it and making sure that we're not adding to this, to this cumulative problem here. And, um, you know, when I am doing location research for a client, I'm going to be in tandem, like researching, like, what are, you know, what are the pain points of this specific national park? Like, what are the damages that are really easy to make? Um, And what are the fragile environments? Um, You know, and, you know, is there a permit? What are the rules in association with that permit? You know, I'm thinking through all of that while I'm Um, location scouting for clients, when I send them a location list, it's going to include like, hey, this area is in the tundra. So we're going to stick to durable surfaces and trails. And this is what those durable surfaces are. We're going to stick to rocks and to sand and to gravel and to, you know, bare patches of earth or snow. Um, We're not going to be 
um, you know, actually stepping on the wildflowers here. And so setting that expectation up front, I've noticed that makes a huge difference in my business of like, I'm no longer getting to the elopement day and being, you know, put in that awkward situation of a client asking me to do something for a photo that's against my own personal values and morals as a photographer. Um, and you know, cause I've been put in that situation before. And I think that, that, that's another thing that's really important to consider as photographers is some of the impacts that we're making is, you know, the impacts that our clients are making or asking us to make. And it's not fun to be put in a situation where you're being asked to make that decision between doing something in alignment with, with your values and being a good service provider. And I know that I've been put in that situation before and it's really not fun and it feels pretty bad either way. Um, and so I know that like, you know, this plan and prepare, plan ahead and prepare concept, it's, you know, it's a really big topic. It's one of the biggest principles that we talk about a lot in the course and how with your branding and your marketing and your whole workflow, you can align your business with these concepts, with these ethics and how this is so much more than just like what you do on the trail. It's around like orienting your whole business around thinking about how we can continue to, as photographers, be able to do this sustainably. I want to be an elopement photographer for 10, 20 years, like as long as my body will let me do it. And in, in, in order to do that, we need to be able to all continue to collectively access um, these locations, which we're not going to get to if they all get destroyed, obviously. So um, that concept is really, really huge through like what you're communicating when you're recommending locations, you know, what you're including when you, if you're building a timeline for couples, I could go over all of that. Um, you know, how I've baked Leap and Trace into every single part of my workflow with marketing and branding. And then, you know, thinking through your impact when it comes to, you know, completing that cycle of like sharing those images and using them in your marketing and on, and on social media and how, you know, maybe geotagging more broadly will actually bring you more couples and more clients and be better for your marketing and also, you know, help ensure that, that these spots aren't going, you know, to go viral and end up in a place where, you know, where they are, you know, getting way more cumulative impact than they really need to be, particularly the more fragile environments. Sure. Um, I that's I know I only went over one one uh, principle there, but I would say like the other ones that we talk about a lot in the course are our our number two travel and camp on uh, on durable services. I know a lot of photographers have questions of like what that is because it isn't always this like black and white. You have to stay on a trail at every single spot. Like there are other durable surfaces. There is vegetation that is actually dur- that is actually durable. And I think a lot of people have misconceptions around that principle too. You know, the other ones really briefly are like disposing of waste properly. That one's pretty simple. Um, but some sometimes. Sometimes it isn't like I have in the past thought it was okay to like let a client throw a bouquet off of a cliff because I was like, huh, it's biodegradable. I'm sure it's fine. But I wasn't thinking about the fact that those were non-native species flowers that probably shouldn't be in that environment and probably shouldn't grow there and could cause problems and there's wire and there's tape and there's plastic in that bouquet and it also just doesn't look that great and someone's going to happen upon that and that's going to impact their experience on the outdoors. Um, you know, four is leave what you find. Um, five is like minimizing campfire impacts. I know like campfire photos and sparks and sparklers and smoke bombs are like really fun in the photography world. Having lived here in Colorado, like I'm really aware of the impacts that wildfires cause. There's like last week, there's literally two within 10 miles of my house. So wow. that's like very much on the forefront of my mind. I know a huge wildfire that was started out in California by someone doing a gender reveal session with smoke bombs. So, you know, six, like respecting wildlife. I know it's fun to like take photos feeding a squirrel or a bird or I, you know, all these other things, whereas like that can end up in the long term, like, you know, cause that animal to get into a bad situation where they lose their life. And seven, you know, being considerate of others. I think this is one we talk about a lot in the course as, as well, just remembering like, you know, we don't own these lands and like, there's a very long, you know, complicated uh, conversation around who these lands actually belong to or should be belonging to. But in general, like, you know, what the way that this is set up right now is public lands are supposed to be for everyone. um, And, you know, we don't own them. They aren't our own personal studios. You know, we can't gatekeep other people from 
being there and, you know, just like remembering that, you know, these are for everyone to experience, whether they're a photographer or not, whether they're getting married that day or, or, or not. So, you know, I know Gabby and Brandon talk a ton about how to, you know, take amazing photos, actually, like, you know, we photo, we videoed them out near Mount Rainier National Park, actually on a trail, like showing their best, like tips and tricks about how to take epic photos in these environments while being cognizant of durable surfaces and of other hikers and of all these other things. So there's, there's so much in there. I wouldn't say the course is this, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, let's just focus on the principles. It's more, how can we focus on, you know, how does leave no trace apply to really every aspect of our businesses from branding to marketing, to customer service, to actually on location with a couple. Well, and again, we'll link to that course, the website, and of course, Maddie's website and Instagram in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And I appreciate you making time for all of us, Maddie, to to share your perspective on a variety of things today, uh, ultimately on this concept of leave no trace, and probably to an extent that many of us, maybe even most of us haven't really considered. And again, for those of you listening in, if you want more information, if you want more nuance and more details, uh, you're going to want to check out this course as well, which we'll link to in the show notes. Thanks again, Maddie, for for making time for us. And actually, just just to close out our conversation, we remind our listeners um, where they can find your website and your social media and follow what you're doing as a photography business. Yeah, thank you so much, Nathan. I really appreciate you able to talk about this uh, today. So yeah, you can find um, my elopement photography business, Adventure Instead, at adventureinstead.com or Instagram com slash adventure instead. My education business is Adventure Instead Academy. So you can find that at adventureinstead.com slash academy or um, at instagram.com slash adventure instead academy. I also have a really big, awesome free Facebook group um, for education for any aspiring elopement or uh, adventure wedding photographers. It's called Weddings and Wanderlust. So that's at facebook.com slash group slash weddings and wanderlust. So there's like over 11,000 photographers in it at the moment. It's a really, really Whoa. great place to be. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to put all this in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. <laughs> uh, Y'all check it out. By the way, for those of you listening in who don't take advantage of the show notes, it, it's a pretty massive wealth of, of resources, actually, um, that Haley puts together from each of the episodes, talking points, links to resources. So check that out. Thanks again, Maddie. And um, everyone have an absolutely lovely day. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free. So make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.